So God speaks to us today in his word uh, in no less of a powerful way in the book of Genesis, chapter 40. Picking up where we left off, Genesis chapter number 40. Uh, we're in the story of Joseph. So God has called Abraham, he's called Isaac, he's called Jacob to be the, the, the patriarchs, the fathers, the founders of a new people. And one of the sons of Jacob is Joseph. Uh, he was uh, the favored son. He had this very colorful robe that he wore around. His brothers were very jealous of him. His brothers sold, uh, put him into a pit. They were going to kill him first. And uh, instead, they put him into a pit while they had a little snack uh, out in the desert. So they sold him to a, 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 a train of uh, uh, herders with, on camels, uh, traders on camels. Uh, and they then sold him down into Egypt as a slave uh, of Potiphar, this Egyptian uh, nobleman, uh, servant of the Pharaoh. And so what we pick up there, uh, where Joseph is in Potiphar's house as a slave, but he is over the whole house. He's such a trustworthy, righteous man. Uh, but yet Potiphar's wife, while Potiphar was away, uh, tried to seduce him many times. Joseph stood up for righteousness uh, and he ran away. She grabbed his robe. His robe got him in trouble a second time, we saw uh, last time. Uh, and yet now he's in prison. So he's, he's been, he's, uh, been uh, treated unjustly multiple times. And in chapter 40, we read this. Sometime after this, so he's been put into prison, the cupbearer of the king, that is the pharaoh of Egypt, and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king, Pharaoh of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph, notice, interestingly, right, sort of uh, as, a, as a, you know, it just happened to be, right, that they put in the same prison uh, where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams, and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dreams to Joseph, and he, Joseph, said uh, to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into, the, uh, into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me. This is now Joseph speaking. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pits. 
When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph as well, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. So far, so good, right? In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, when was, well, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And all of God's people say to God's words, Amen. Well, have you ever been dealt with uh, unjustly? Uh, kids, maybe, uh, maybe uh, it's possible that in a, in a, at school or in a group of kids uh, that you do school with, maybe uh, you've been treated differently because of the color of your skin. That's uh, no doubt a possibility. Or maybe uh, the way you talk or maybe something about you. You've been treated unjustly. You've been made fun of and so forth. Or maybe somebody did something that was wrong, but you just happened to be around when they did that thing that was wrong. And when they were taken up into punishment, uh, taken to the principal or taken to uh, maybe your parents or taken to whoever was in charge, uh, maybe you kind of got swept up into it just because you were around the person doing whatever it was that was wrong. And, And you also experienced some unjust discipline, punishment correction. Maybe as adults we have experienced some kind of an injustice. We've been ignored, perhaps. Maybe you've been forgotten. Maybe you've been shunned because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's at work. They know you're a Christian. Maybe at school. They know that you're a believer. Maybe in your family. You're the only one. And you know that feeling of disappointment that comes with being dealt with in an unjust way. In fact, it's just a part about of what it means to be a Christian, to be dealt with as a follower of Jesus in a way that isn't fair. Why? Because Jesus said, those who belong to him, those who belong to his family, those who follow after him, are going to experience persecution. Jesus said this once while he was amongst his own earthly human family. A prophet is not without honor. It's a double negative. It's called a litetes. It's just it's a way of saying... Uh, in a very strong way, in a, in a double negative way, the most, pos- the, the most positive way of saying it. A prophet is supremely honored. Who doesn't honor a prophet? Except, he said, in his own hometown and in his own household. Jesus knew what it was to be honored by outsiders, but hated by his own family. 
and close friends. In fact, the Gospel of Mark says that his own family accused him of being crazy. He's out of his mind. Saying things like what we read in Matthew chapter 9. Your sins are forgiven. Who says that? Right? What human being says that? Only an insane human being says that. Unless, in fact, he's not an insane human being, but he's the Lord. Jesus says to us throughout the gospel uh, accounts many things like this. In this world you will have tribulation. He says elsewhere, if they persecuted me, they will surely persecute you. Why? Because the student is not greater than his master. And if the master is persecuted, how much more so his student? Now, the apostles learned that the hard way, and they preached this. We don't hear this kind of preaching today. The book of Acts tells us the apostles, when they preached the good news, the gospel, they also added sort of a little caveat to that gospel. Oh, by the way, it is through many tribulations that you must enter the kingdom of God. Certainly, that's not a health, wealth, prosperity gospel, is it? Through many tribulations, you and I must enter the kingdom of God. Now, you know, we're, we're, we're here in the United States of America. I mean, what's persecution, right? What does that even mean to us? We, we, we pray for the church that's outside and other parts of the world. Uh, we, we pray for, for Christians in India. We pray for Christians uh, in, in, uh, uh, in Africa. We pray for Christians in China and North Korea and so forth. And, uh, you know, we do that for the right reasons. But we don't really know what it is to go through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. And so it's a good thing uh, that there is uh, some, somewhat a little bit of, uh, of persecution and uh, hatred. It's a good thing. It's going to weed out the church. It's going to cl- clean it up. It's going to make our faith stronger. You probably saw on the news, uh, uh, you know, churches being surrounded and churches now being accosted and, and Christians being assaulted outside of churches uh, for believing what the Bible says. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. We shouldn't be afraid. We shouldn't be afraid. And so Jesus, Jesus tells us that there's going to be great persecution for us as children of God. And as we turn to the book of Genesis, we go backwards in history from Jesus to Genesis, uh, this Joseph narrative again speaks here of a prophet who's without honor. A prophet who is without honor. He felt what it was to be shunned, forgotten, despised. We saw that by his own family members, by his own brothers. And now, even amongst the Egyptians, by the outsiders, for righteousness, for choosing righteousness, for seeking to flee and to shun sin, he was forsaken, forgotten, shunned, despised, and thrown into prison unjustly. So let's hear what the Holy Spirit says to us this morning about Joseph here, this prophet without honor, but most of all it teaches us about Jesus and about our Lord and our salvation in him. I want you to see there on the outline a couple of points. First of all, notice his power that, that he has here. The story describes his power, the first couple of, uh, first few verses, verses one through eight. Uh, we see this power of him and um, we see something of a precursor to his being without honor. He's a prophet without honor. He was given this ability by God to interpret dreams there in the prison. And at some point, 
uh, we saw in Potiphar's house, he was a slave, and eventually he was raised up to the, to the head of the house. And again, he's now in prison, but now he began, uh, he's been raised up to sort of the head of the prison. He's sort of the foreman. He's the one in charge of the whole thing. The guy in charge can just, he can just go about his day because he has no worries. Joseph is such a good worker, such a good administrator. He's a godly man. And along with that, he's been given the ability, the giftedness to interpret dreams. And so at some point, Pharaoh's cupbearer, the one who would bring the Pharaoh his wine, and his baker, the one who would make his food, they too were thrown by happenstance, by chance, no, by God's providence, into the very same prison where Joseph was. Now these two offices, or officers, the, the chief cupbearer, the chief baker, very important, very important in ancient Egypt and across ancient civilizations. These were the people, the guys, uh, who were in charge of the king's food and drink to make sure that he was not poisoned. And as well, they were also the ones in charge of pleasing the king with their Winology, their study of, the wine, of wine, and with their delicacies and their amazing food. These guys were, you know, the equivalent of sort of the, the Michelin star chefs of our day, right? This is where, this is the, the Pharaoh had the best of the best. You know, he had Gordon Ramsay in his, in his kitchen, as it were, right? Bringing him wine, bringing him food, making sure it didn't poison him. In fact, there are Egyptian texts that say there are 57 kinds of bread in Egypt, 38 kinds of cake. That's how important it was to be the chief baker, to be able to bake and, and cook and, and, and please the Pharaoh. For some reason, though, we're not told they got into hot water with their Lord, the Pharaoh. They're put into prison, same one where Joseph was with the hand of God's Providence. Now, one night while they're in prison, they both just happened to have a dream. Right? Just happened to have, meaning God's providence. In the morning, Joseph came to them and, and they looked troubled, verse 6 tells us. or something about their face. They looked downcast. They looked sad. They looked worried. They looked troubled. Right? Afraid. Whatever it was. Why? Because there was nobody in that prison to interpret dreams. Ancient Egypt was, was just like here. You drive down the street, you see the tarot card reader, you see the psychic reader, uh, you see the billboard. We just drove uh, uh, up to uh, uh, LAX last night to pick up SIP, and, uh, and there are all these billboards and all these signs. Psychic readers, tarot card readers, fortune tellers, whatever and whatever. You can even call, as we all know, uh, those of us a little bit older, you can call certain telephone numbers and you can get that psychic network hotline, right? Just, you gotta get... You've got to get your fortune told, your future told. You've got to know what's going to happen. So it was just like our day, right? But there was no one in that prison. There was no one there to interpret dreams. And so they sort of felt, they felt troubled and they were lost. You know, what are the gods telling us? So Joseph says, well, tell me the dreams. But note verse 8. He acknowledges that interpretations belong to God. Joseph's power to interpret these dreams that he didn't even have were given by God. 
just as any other gift that you or I might have. These are the direct working and the results of God's activity in our lives. In other words, what is Joseph saying there? Who gets the glory when it comes to interpreting even dreams? Who gets the glory? Joseph? God gets the glory, right? Soli Deo glory, to God alone be the glory. So he has a certain power, right? He has a certain power. It's a gift of God's grace and the ability of God to, to give the dream and to make the dream known. And so he has this power. And that is sort of the precursor there to, to not only him being a prophet, like a prophet, but also one without honor. Notice, and secondly, notice uh, his proclamation. He interprets the dreams for these two officials. First of all, he interprets the dream of the cupbearer, the guy that would give the Pharaoh not only the wine and, and develop the wine and, and uh, create the wine and, and the flavors, the essences, the taste of the wine, but he also made sure that it wasn't poisoned wine, right? There were no plots and schemes to take the Pharaoh out. And the interpretation of that dream in verse 13 was very clear. He says, there are going to be three days, and in three days the Pharaoh will lift up your hand and restore you to your offense. I mean, who wouldn't want to hear a dream like that? This guy's been put into prison for some unknown reason. He's been right there next to Pharaoh every single day of his life. And now he's in a pit. And he has this strange dream. He's troubled about it all night, all morning. He wakes up and Joseph says, oh, it's a very simple dream. Three days, you're going to be raised back up to that very same position. He's happy. He's joyful. He's exuberant. And the baker, seeing, hearing that Joseph gave a, gave a favorable, a positive interpretation about the cupbearer's dream, well, he, he thinks the same for himself. He, he hopes the same, that if he divulges his dream, well, if the cupbearer told his dream and it was a positive end, well, if I tell mine, I'm going to get the same thing. He tells Joseph the dream. Joseph gives the interpretation. But I want you to notice a few things here about Joseph's interpretation, his prophetic gift, his prophetic office here. Notice that when it comes to the interpretation of dreams, Again, do not interpretations come from God? So he tells the cupbearer exactly what God says, and it's very positive. It's a great outcome. When it comes to the baker, he can't fake it. He does not tickle the ears of the baker. The baker wanted to be put back into a position of making those all those kinds of breads, all those kinds of cakes, being favored by the Pharaoh. I mean, who does not want that? But Joseph doesn't give the baker what he wanted to hear. But he told him the truth in love. In other words, he was a true prophet, a true proclaimer of the words of God. Just like the prophet Jeremiah once said uh, that there are kinds of prophets, there are kinds of preachers, there are kinds of proclaimers who go around saying, peace, peace, when there's no peace. The true preacher, just like Joseph, the true preacher and the true witness for Jesus Christ 
is the one who speaks only what God has already said in his word. Just as God revealed his word to Joseph. So Joseph is, to, is an example in the, in the scriptures I mean, of what true preaching is. What is, it? what is a true preacher? What is true preaching? And what, on, from, from your vantage point, I'm, I'm here, the preacher, doing the preaching, but from your vantage point, what, what kind of preacher, what kinds of preaching should you want? The kind that tickles the ear? Sort of like Cyprian, sort of like Lance Stevenson, breathing in, blowing in the ear of LeBron back in the day, right? <laughs> Trying to get under his skin, you know, Right? Do you want one who tickles the ears or tells the truth in love, right? That's what we have here in Joseph. So what's true preaching here from Joseph? Well, again, who, who fills Joseph? Who inspires Joseph? Uh, who, who gives his mind and his heart and his mouth the words to speak? God. Do not interpretations come from God. True preaching is, 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 is a, is a, is, is, comes from one who is filled with God's words and God's spirit, not, not his own. And again, what was Joseph proclaiming here? Now, they had these dreams. It's sort of a, it's a different situation that we have, but they had these dreams they give them to Joseph. What does he give back? What does Joseph give back to the, the cupbearer and the chief baker? What does is, what is he give him back? Whose interpretation? God's words, right? God's interpretation. What God says is the meaning of those dreams. The true preacher proclaims what God says. What God says. It, it might sound like a shocking thing, but... Christian preachers and theologians for, for ages have said things like this, that, that uh, when, when a, a preacher is, is duly called and he's authorized to preach, what he preaches is the very word of God, not the word of man. The preaching of the word is the word of God. Why? Because it comes from God. Our job is really to open it, read it, Make sense, try to make sense of it, apply it, proclaim it for our own hearing in our own time. Notice as well, again, just to emphasize this, who, who determines what Joseph says? It's an obvious point, but who determines what Joseph says? Is it the author of the dream, meaning God, or is it the audience? Who determines what a preacher is to say? God or you? God or me? God or anybody who stands here? Right? Heverendo, last Sunday was up here, right? Who determined what he said? Not him, God. God. It's not the audience. Not the audience. We want, 
we're, we're tempted today to make it the audience. I mean, Christian preachers have been tempted by this forever, but the audience, right? The culture, the people, the listeners, those who hear us. We, we want to sound interesting. We want to sound, you know, sort of hip and up of the times. We, we want that, right? At least we, humanly speaking, sinfully speaking, we do. It's not the audience who determines what we say. I did a little, uh, a little interview this week uh, for, for an academic thing, a 45-minute quick interview about just some academic stuff, that I, my, my research and whatnot. And uh, I, th- I think the two people interviewing me uh, were unbelievers. Um, and they wanted to know uh, certain things. And, and uh, you know, on the screen, it has the person's name and it has their pronouns. So it's sort of a, to me, it's a dead giveaway. Uh, whether, whether or not, you know, and one, of the, and one of the questions was about, you know, what does it mean to be a human being? And I said, that's an, ob- that, that's an easy answer. And I'm looking at the screen, the Zoom call, and I'm seeing he, him, she, her, and whatever else it was. God, in the beginning, made us in his image, male and female, period, end of story. Now, we live in a fallen world. We don't live in that created perfection. And obviously, there are lots of uh, the lot, there, there, are, there are things that have happened that have damaged our DNA and our, in our humanity, and uh, there, are, there are people who, have, uh, who are born with both sex organs, intersex, but that's a very, very minor, very, very small, right, deformity. It's a broken part of our creation. That doesn't give us authorization to then change what God has said, right? And so here I am telling these people, and th- that look of shock on their face, right? Just their eyes were like, this guy just said that? I mean, no one says that. No one says this stuff today. You know, it's, it's he, her, Z, Zim, whatever. I mean, what are, what, how many, 95 genders, whatever it is these days, right? We can change who we are. We can make ourselves to be what we want. Who determines what we say? Is it the audience or God? No, it's God. It's God. What kind of preaching do we want? kind that comes from God or the kind that comes from all the chaos of our, of our culture. So there's Joseph interpreting, interpreting, speaking, proclaiming what God says, not tickling ears, not giving him what he wanted to say, not saying peace, peace, but there was no peace. He just said it how it was. And we let God do the rest of the work. We let God do the work. The true preacher, again, only speaks what God has already said in his word. That's what the true preacher says. And so there's Joseph interpreting dreams. And he tells the baker not what he wanted, but what he needed, what he had to hear. Pharaoh in three days is going to lift up your head and hang you on a tree. Lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat flesh from you. Verse 19. Now Joseph here, it's interesting, uses a little play on words. Uh, when, it, when you see there in your, in, in your Bible there, uh, when Pharaoh would lift up the cupbearer's head and he would lift up the head of the baker, it's the same Hebrew term. While Pharaoh would lift up Nisa, the cupbearer's head, in a positive way, restoring him to office, he would also lift up Nisa, the head of the baker, by decapitating him, literally lifting up his head. 
And so for, for one person, the interpretation that came from God was good news. It was gospel. And for the other one, it was law. It was bad news. It was condemnation. And Joseph says both. He says both. And in fact, as a sign of a true prophet, everything he said came true, verses 20 through 22. He didn't fake it. He didn't make it up. He didn't uh, sugarcoat it. He didn't soft-pedal it. He said it how it was. Good news for you, bad news for you. You put your trust in Jesus Christ, forgiveness, acceptance, loved by God for all of eternity, and you will never come into a condemnation again. Don't put your trust in Jesus Christ. I got bad news for you today. It's not just that you're going to burn in hell for eternity. You're already under condemnation now. Now, you're already experiencing that. That's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus Christ removes that from all those who come to him in faith. There's good news and there's bad news. We can't, you know, we can't make the good news less than what it is. We can't make the bad news less than what it is. We can't make them more. They are what they are. Good news and bad news. Justification, condemnation. Being loved by God, being hated by God. Right? That's the honest Bible truth. That's what it says. Now, notice in all this, Joseph then has this little plea, right? Uh, he he uh, has this gift by God, this power from God. He then proclaims what God says. And then in verses 14, 15, uh, uh, and then he also compared that to verse 23, he has this little plea. Notice that back in verses 14 and 15. So after he interprets the cupbearer's dream, Joseph pled with him, remember me. When it's well with you, when you're back in the Pharaoh's court at his birthday party, giving him his cup of wine, do please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. You see, Joseph perceives by faith that God's gifts in him could be used to get him out of prison. And then you hear something of his agony. I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. Back to that fateful chapter 37. And here also I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Isn't it interesting? He, he was in a pit in the desert with his brothers back in chapter 37. Now he's in, a, he's in a prison. It's sort of house arrest. And he says that, this house. But then notice how he equates this house with being like in a pit. He's in the same spot. He's, he's pleading. He's pleading. Don't forget, he's telling this to the, uh, to the, the cupbearer who is in three days going to be restored to his office. And he was, exactly as Joseph said so, three days later, yet the chief cupbearer, verse 23, did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. A prophet without honor, used, forgotten. He was enjoyed for a time and then left to die. And in this way, our text proclaims to us our Lord Jesus Christ. It proclaims to us who Jesus is, what he does for us. We see Jesus Christ in our story here, first of all, in Joseph while he's there in prison. As one who came to identify with us in our lowliness. 
He came and was identified with sinners and tax collectors. As Joseph is there in that prison, being identified with, with other sinners, although he's a righteous man, in a prophetic way, we have here our Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of Israel, the Savior of the world, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has become one with us, who has identified with us in every single temptation that you and I can experience, yet he was without sin. He who knew no sin, the Bible tells us, he who knew no sin, the Son of God, became in his humanity sin for us. Why? So that you, the unrighteous sinner, might become the righteousness of God. In other words, us, here we are, sinners, helpless. We cannot even approach God. And, and so God comes down into human flesh in our Lord Jesus Christ. He, he leaves that glory behind. He identifies with us in our lowly sin so that when we put our trust in him, he clothes us, he makes us, he declares us righteous as Jesus is so that we can go back to God and be accepted, be welcomed. He who knew no sin became sin for us. We see Jesus here in a second way. Like Joseph, this interpreter of dreams, we we see that the one that he says gives the power of interpretation, namely God, has come to us. The God who gave Joseph the interpretations to give to the cupbearer and the chief baker, that God is our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who has come down from heaven to earth to declare to us the will of God for our salvation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of God. And, and John 1 verse 18 goes on to say, He has declared him. He's exposited. He's, uh, he's proclaimed the Father. He's come to tell us who God is. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he said. And so we see here the one who gave Joseph the power of interpretation is our Lord Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, who declares to us the will of God for our salvation. Well, how, how can you and I hear today? How can you and I hear the will of God? How can you and I know that Jesus speaks? How can you and I know that God has spoken? We can know that because we can read his very words. We can read these words. We can hear his voice. And we see our Lord Jesus Christ here in a third way. Just like Joseph, forgotten by his own, forgotten by this household that took him in, we see Jesus, the one who came to his own, yet his own received him not. Forsaken by his own family. I mentioned that they called him crazy, out of his mind. People used him with the signs, right? They, you, you just come with the signs for your fill. But you don't have the eternal life, the true bread from heaven. Joseph is used for his interpretation powers and then forgotten. Our Lord, forsaken, given up, used, and then left for dead. Like a lamb before its shearers is silent, though. He came to learn obedience. 
by all the things that he suffered in this life. And so here is Jesus, proclaimed to us in his Old Testament prophetic passage. The one who has all glory and honor, our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who has all glory and honor from all of eternity. The eternal God himself humbled himself. This is the gospel. This is the good news to us today. Humbled himself. Why? To be dishonored. Why? Why would God humble himself and be dishonored? So that you, a sinner who has not honored God rightly and perfectly as he deserves and desires, You who have not honored God, but you've lived shameful lives. This God has humbled himself for you. So that you might leave the shame of your sin behind. Be restored to fellowship with God. And given honor and glory. Which you don't deserve. Given honor and glory. To be called, the right to be called children of God. And to love him now, to be loved by him now, to be forgiven by him now, to be honored now and forever in eternity. That's the good news today. That's the good news today. You and I, in the shame and the miry muck of our sins, God has come down in Jesus Christ, entered into all that sin to lift you out of it. To give you glory and honor, forgiveness, love and acceptance, adoption as sons of God, justification, that means to be declared righteous. All the gifts, they're all yours. They're all ours. They're all mine. And we come to the Lord's table this morning. The Lord's Supper is meant to be the, the visible demonstration of all this. We hear it with our ears, we see it with our eyes, we touch it with our hands, we taste it with our lips. The good news of the gospel that God has humbled himself down to us to lift us back to him. All of that is right here. And when you come forward this morning, by faith, receive Christ. Receive Christ. Let's pray. Our great and our gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you for your amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And we praise you for honoring us, glorifying us. Uh, despite our not deserving it, freely of your grace, your mercy, and your love. And we ask now as we come to the Lord's Supper uh, that you would give us this visible sign and this visible assurance to us, this confirmation to us that yes, we, shameful sinners, miserable offenders as we've already prayed, that we have been made the children of God. So help us, Lord, to believe that. Help us to receive that today. We ask it all in Jesus' name and all of God's people say, Amen.